The startup game has changed and only the most agile will make it to the other side. I'm your host, Michael Martocci, founder and CEO of SwagUp, and this is Out of the Woods, a show where we interview top startup founders, executives, and investors to hear how they're navigating the rapidly changing economic environment. We'll share real-time insights, strategies, and stories from those in the trenches with the goal to help as many teams level up their execution and make it out of the woods. So with that in mind, let's dive in. Alrighty, welcome back to the Out of the Woods podcast. We've got Adam Robinson from retention.com. I've been following you around on LinkedIn, kind of snooping and kind of trying to learn your content playbook a little bit, see what, see what you guys are up to. I've been to, a, like I said, a dinner with with your company that you guys host and was amazed by how far you progressed so quickly with such a small team. I think, what was it, like six people to get to like 15 million or something? Yeah, we got to 14 million with six people, but now we have 50 and we're at 19.6. <laughs> it's, it's, but we've, I just looked today, we've grown 43% this year and our ecosystem got fucking slaughtered in April and May. So like, I think it's still a win, you know, like, like every like the shop Shopify, like they cut their growth forecast in half hub HubSpot cut their growth forecast in half. Clavia is going to IPO. I think they're cutting and doing a similar thing. So, um, so yeah, it's still going, but it's just a very different beast than what it was. And we're trying to get back to a lot of how it felt when it was that previous beast, because it was like a tight ship. And then when you do something stupid, like hire 44 people in 60 days, it's not a tight ship anymore. There's no way to keep it a tight ship. Yeah. Were, you able to, were you able to keep the quality bar higher? Is there some regrets in that? What does the quality bar mean? I don't know. All I'll say is like at Swagup, we went from like 60 people to 240 people during the pandemic. Were we running a more efficient, better operated company with six people? Absolutely. There's no question. But like, I think what the strategy has ended up being is like, okay, we got to this size. For the TAM that we're currently dealing with, we don't need any more people, if anything, probably like you know, five, 10% less. It's fine. You can deal with that. And now we need to like harden up processes and efficiencies and all that stuff. Um, and just become a much better company. So like, I, I don't know how to answer that. Like, like I, I would have gone slower if you put me back to October, November, but like, I was just so desperate, man. It just felt like there was such a huge opportunity and I had to, I had to move as fast as possible. And like, I don't, I think I got fooled. You know what I mean? It's like FOMO. It was, I mean, you didn't have investors up to that point, right? So that's just your motivation, right? I still don't. The motivation was just like, so I have a podcast called 10 Years in the Making. There's a great guest called John Kronstadt who was president of Kajabi, which was, it's like a Shopify for info products. And they dealt with kind of the same thing that that I was going through. It's like, I was about to have an unbelievable cash lifestyle business. Like it was good last year. It would have been great this year. And by almost anyone's standards, it would have been the best possible lifestyle business you could have. You were cash flow at what, five, six million or something? Yeah, yeah probably... I think we, we cash flowed five and a half last year. We probably would have done 11 this year and like maybe 20 the next year. So, um, but then it would have stopped, I think, because like we weren't fixing a churn problem. You know what I mean? It's like we didn't do the things that you need to do to like be a unicorn because you don't if you're doing that. So like, um, as John Kronstadt said, it's like, they're like, books will be written about this space at some point. Do we want to be who's featured in the book and who's the story is about, or 
do we want to be like tangential and like, you know, clipping our whatever like million a, a dollars footnote each. or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah clipping our million dollars each and like, you know, buying a slightly bigger house every year and like whatever. Um, and he just articulates some of some of the things that you go through when you think about that. So like he said, it, he's like, he's like, when you have one of these great lifestyle businesses, you're just slightly dissatisfied and you never really know why. Especially when you can build something like of that significance, like you're capable of so much, you know, and you know that. Yeah, totally. And like, and like, it's just like, are you getting the most out of yourself that you can or not? Like, I, I personally want to know, like, now that we like decided to do it and go for it, it's like, am I good enough? Like, can, can I do it? Can, can I, I actually, actually build a category defining unicorn or not? So that's why I'm finding out right now. Yeah. You ever read the book Play Bigger? Kind of like basically this concept, like, you got to, do you want to be the category defining king and really, you know, own the market or you just want to be another, another company, but it's great. But you had a, you, know, you had like some sort of moderate success before this, right? There was a, a sale. Yeah, of a I, sold an, I, I started and sold an app that competed with like Clavio, but not in the same ICP is not, it was like, we were poaching customers from constant contact, which was like the first email marketing. I think app. my dad still uses that for his business. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's people like your dad that were our customers that were very hard to build for. Cause like most of them were not making money on their emails. They were sending out one newsletter a month about their flower shop or whatever. And like, it was just, and the space in general, MailChimp had won the game and then Clavio came along and created a monopoly in another vertical of it. So it's like the, the space was just like entrenched competitors. MailChimp had this free offering for 90% of the market. How do you become more free than free? You know what I mean? It was just, uh, but yeah, that was, that was the, you know, we sold it for 10 million bucks. It was fine. Does, does that influence, is that part of like the influence of why to go bigger this time? Like, Hey, I've already done kind of the, you know, moderately successful business. Like, I don't want to do that again. I think the go bigger, I have just read a lot about like product market fit, why Combinator blogs, like whatever. I think the go bigger was a lot of like, well, all of the ingredients are here to be, to even make it worthwhile trying, right? Which like it wouldn't have been with my last company. Nothing that I did, I wasn't able to run an ad and get a customer at a profitable level for my last company. Cause like in any way, right? Like I couldn't, we a big motion for us right now. Like we're like 20 K ACV. So in-person dinners make a lot of sense. So penetrating the Shopify Clavio world we're in, like somebody like Ron can, or somebody who knows a bunch of brands, right? Like they can bring people to dinner. We can pay a commission to them if we close the brands, buy the dinner. And like the math works, it doesn't look amazing, but like it's a really fast motion for us. And it works. There's, There's no fucking customers. way I could have done that at my last company. They couldn't have brought in an audience of people to hear about it, right? Because <laughs> it's- Who gives a shit about some of my content? Email marketing, content right? Like, exactly, exactly. So um, there were there were signs there. And plus, um, I mean, here's another story. Like I share an office with the Jasper AI team. Yep. What's his name? Doug Rogan Meinzer or something like that. One of the founders, Doug, right? D Dave Rogan. Dave, 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 Dave. Yeah, yeah. We did a lot of their swag early on. I've rented an office from Dave for four years and they started that company two and a half years ago. So they were not Jasper AI before that. They, they had a 2 million ARR, totally stuck, burning 50 grand a month business. They tried, they spent a year and a half building a product. They raised two million bucks, spent all of it trying to create a personalization app, launched it during COVID, failed, got paycheck protection to pay their rent. In December, they're out of money and they're thinking about selling it and starting a fucking restaurant. I'm serious. And like, we talked a bunch during that time because like 
at the time I had my old business and I had my new business, which was get emails, which is now retention.com. The old one was 225 MRR. The new one was 267. And I had five employees at each. And so like me and my, we're like making a million bucks. This is great. Like, you know, it's remote. It's like, and the whole time I, I was planning on like accumulating four or five of these small SaaS companies with light staff. Right. And then you're like, you have a million ARR total, or, you know, a million MRR total and like barely yeah, employees and time origin or something. And like, like I sold them on this, this and I have this text from this dude, Dave Rogan Moser. This was our whole plan, right? Like we're going to spin up these SaaS companies. So he's like, Mind you, Get Emails was at 267 MRR and he was at 220 at the time. So this is Jasper. It's a Stripe receipt. It says, first paying customer, had the idea seven days ago. Hopefully this is my Get Emails. And then 14 months later, they raised $200 million at a billion and a half dollar valuation. So like if I heard that in a podcast, I would not think that it applied to me. But there's something about like these guys are from Maryland, right? I've been sitting with them for a year and a half. I know they're not smarter than me because- we're the same. You know what I mean? Like we were stuck in the same place. We were going to the same room every day and working <clears throat> and these guys just did it. <clears throat> so that really opened my eyes to the possibility that like I was sort of worthy of this pursuit. And then my business kept sort of, I was running it super lean and it kept, I mean, 14 million era with six people is ridiculous, right? Like it's, it's, there's a lot to play with in there. Um, so I sort of just started looking at it in a different way after I saw that. I was like, oh, like this probably has it. really what happened was they got to 60 ARR in 12 months, but they were spending like a million, two million bucks a month on Facebook ads. They had this demand gen loop because they had they basically had chat GTP before chat GTP. So it was amazing. And they were the only ones. Jasper, it. It, they, it took them a year. They were still at like 60K ARR, but there was like something. 60 that, million. Oh, 60. Zero to 60 million. Yeah, yeah. Just off of Facebook ads. That's it. It's yeah, unbelievable. I've seen the yeah. ads too. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm paying one salesperson with no marketing $30,000 a month or whatever I was paying her at the time. And I got to 8 million. I probably have a better business than them. Cause there's, what if I, it was like, what if I could spend a million dollars a month on sales and marketing? I probably get farther than that. I mean, I'm spending a million dollars a month now on sales and marketing and I'm only at 20 million ARR. So there you go. It's, it was, it well, was a fallacy. Like retention.ai and then maybe it'll happen. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. But you know, the go to market changed and you know, I don't know. What was it for them? Was it just the timing and uh, Facebook ads working? Like, So they went to Y Combinator and Sam Altman gave Y Combinator companies license use cases that had no competition for a period of time. So he told them for nine months, they could have the blog use case, which is the use case for that shit, right? Like, yeah, I mean, what, what else do you, you use? It's it's like, right now, now you ask shit, Chad GTP everything, but it's like, what better use case is there than like all this BS SEO content that's created that like should be a hundred words that you turn to 3000. That's like lots of people that are doing that job. And it just like, it, it saved people days you know, every single post. Um, so yeah, that was their story. And now, you know, ChatGTP came out and they, so they hired a bunch of people and they're like, we need to sell enterprise because that's what you, you know, it's sort of the HubSpot trajectory or whatever. Didn't really know ChatGTP was going to come out. And I think that's made it harder for them, but they're still in a scenario where they need to figure out, it's white space, right? Like no one has like, solidified that's a lot of money to spend too like you know figuring out like how to deploy 200 million is a pretty serious challenge do you, do, yeah, yeah i mean until so they hired 250 people which is not 200 million dollars right that's that's probably not even i doubt they're even burning you know but 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're just kind of being careful. It's like, let's try to figure out this upmarket motion for this and, you know, and see what happens. Does that give me a FOMO of like, you know, retention.com, you have this strong product market fit, you know, people obviously love what you do. You can't be everywhere. You don't have the capital for it. Like, obviously you're cash flowing a lot, but what if you had 2 million? What if you had 20 million? What if you had 50 yeah, million? Like I wouldn't do anything different. We need to, I mean, I wish I would have gone slower anyway. Like right now until the end of the year, we don't need to hire anyone. We don't need to do any more events or marketing or whatever. We need to get better at what we're doing, period. That's it. It'll, it'll make us better in the long run. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure if we had $50 million, we could go bigger at trade shows or whatever. I'm not even sure it would affect the top line. It might a little bit, but like what we really need to do is like operate how we as smooth as like a tightest ship as when we were six as a squad of 50. And then it's like, okay, where are we at now? How, how much of it is a product thing versus like a go to market? Like when I first heard about what you guys were doing, you know, I was like, wow, this is like free money. You know, it's like, okay, like these people are on my site already. I'm going to be able to contact them. I wasn't able to contact them before. Like, why wouldn't I sign up for this? Um, you know, what, why, why hasn't it been done before? Like, what was the path up to this point? And then you kind of sit in this little gray area when it comes to like contacting people and stuff. Like what's curious to get your thoughts on it. Yeah. So I had heard about it originally. Sorry for the yawn. I guess you made me tired. Um, I heard about it originally having owned an ESP, having owned an email marketing app. And I was like, how is that possible? That's the biggest problem that you could solve in email. Every website will want to use it. And I was like, I think that large affiliate senders will be the biggest consumer of it. And I also thought that the technology was going away in 18 months because it was all third-party cookie-based. So this was like, when, when it started, this was like something I got to, and by the way, I thought it was not compliant with CanSpam, even having owned an ESP before. And like, I, I don't know, a lot of these things that you start, I think they end up being, if the product's not totally different, like something's totally different about it than you thought. Like, I'm not sure about your journey with Sundoso, but like, I literally thought that the, the four assumptions that I had going into it were completely wrong. Like the affiliate guys couldn't make it work for whatever reason. Two and a half years in, it ended up being big Shopify stores. We now do not use third-party cookies in this identity at all. <laughs> and it is CanSpam compliant. So um, the one thing I did know is the first month that we launched it, with like one video sales letter that I used a template from digitalmarketer.com to make. We spent $5,000 on Facebook ads and got 10,000 MRR, which was incredible. And then I did a ton of Facebook ads, COVID hit. We got smacked, but then Facebook inventory was really cheap because people cut back on ad spend because they didn't know what to do. Got a lot of awareness, but then we were like 15% monthly churn rate because you're bringing in Facebook people, but we would like bring in one whale that would pay for all the ads in a day. So it was like a really good awareness thing, but not a good long-term strategy. And then, uh, you know, middle of last year, we realized these really big Shopify stores were like incredible for us. They never churned. They always sent their friends and like we built more products for them. And then, uh, you know, we're still in a gray area, by the way, like this is not some like an ESP, all of the email service providers, it's technically against their acceptable use policy to, but like with the ones that we've talked to, it's up to the brand to decide what technology they use and adhere to the, to the acceptable use policy. So to the extent that like, let's take Klaviyo, for instance, this is not official or whatever. Like if someone were to go to Klaviyo and ask a rep if they should use retention.com, Klaviyo would say, no, it's against our acceptable use policy. But there's nothing they're actually going to do. Th there, there is nothing that has happened yet. <laughs> 
I don't think this is like the future of our business. We have two products, Grow and Reclaim. Reclaim is like the card abandonment, product abandonment, category abandonment. We're actually making Reclaim compliant with their policy as of like July 15th. So one out of two is compliant. And then within the next 12 months, I'm trying to figure out how to make this other get emails thing like the you know, the original product. Hopefully if we can send, there's an indirect competitor called SafeOpt. If we can send, they send off their own IPs. If we can figure out how to send off our own IPs and stop sending these emails to Clavio, then we could have an official partnership with them and it would be fucking amazing. So it, it would be, it would be a revenue hit, but it would be like so much more legitimate that it would be worth taking it, if that makes sense. Uh, what, what's the hardest part in the sales process then? Because like I said, you can almost make a guarantee that people are going to make money from an ROI standpoint. If yeah, they, you can if price it in a way to where they make money, right? Yeah, so like, is it really that their hesitancy to, you know, do I want to do this as a brand potentially? Or so there's what? a mindset of people that are like, I will absolutely do that. And then there's a mindset of people who are like, I will absolutely never do anything like that. And, and then there's people who are in between. People? And it's like, yeah, you just avoid, you can tell very quick. They self-select out of the process, right? Like you kind of understand what it is even before you get on a demo and you wouldn't accept a demo if you were of that mindset. One reason why the Shopify Clavio audience is so good is because most of them are of the mindset that they want to grow if something is legal and it doesn't appear to be damaging to their brand, right? Like, um, so, so yeah, I'd say 80%, 90% of the people in this universe are like, fuck yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, as, as someone ambitious trying to build a 50 million, 100 million, $300 million ARR company, you know, you're kind of doing it counterintuitively by saying, hey, I only want to focus on these Shopify brands where maybe some more experience offer might say, well, I'm missing all these other opportunities. What about B2B companies or what about other types of e-commerce companies that are on WooCommerce or so? I don't know. Like, but what, what was like the idea behind saying, hey, we'll be able to scale the quickest if we just focus on that that market? Because it's a big market. You know, like Clavio is going to IPO for like over $10 billion. I'm not saying we're going to get there because Clavio is very special. They're like generational and everybody needs an email marketing app. And like, we can only kind of sell to a small slice of this. Um, but there's other unicorns in the Shopify ecosystem. And I think we could be one of them only doing that. Um, it's very incestuous. It's very connected. Um, you know, the brands and the agencies and the vendors, they all sort of cross pollinate a bunch. Um, and scaling a software business is all about churn, you know, like, uh, that was our lowest churn user by orders of magnitude, big Shopify stores. So it's like, if you, my view is like, if we think we can make a unicorn in this ecosystem alone, like let's at least, you know, we have maybe two, three, four, five percent 5% market share of this Shopify plus universe. It's like, Let's at least get 15 or 20% market share before we do anything else, you know? And maybe there's a move to go up. Maybe there's a move to go down. I don't know. Were, were the ACVs way different? I, I feel like I saw you talking about or mentioning how you just totally changed the pricing structure at some point. And was that in alignment with like, hey, we found a, a user that really values what we're doing and we're going to charge them it way more than what we thought we could charge? We didn't charge them more per lead. It was actually less per lead, but we focused on a larger user. So like our, you know, it sort of drifted up like price per month or whatever. And actually, if you look at bare metrics, it hasn't really changed. So I think we're getting bigger companies. We're charging them less in like, it's, we've always, you know, kind of averaged. That's not true. Bare metrics has fluctuated between like probably $600 a month and maybe, maybe the highest it's ever been is like 1500 or something like that. And like it's 1300 now per month. 
So like we do an annual deal that's like $1,300 per month. So like 18K CV or 20 or something. Yeah. Is there a way for, you know, between the suite of products that you're building or like plan to build to get into 100,000 plus type contracts with bigger brands? I think so. And um, think, how we're just not really focused on it right now, you know, because like there's so much more meat on the bone of this. But like I, I, I love this high velocity sales motion. I think it's fantastic. You know, like. It's great for the energy of a startup to just like yeah, constantly just close like, on deals. You know, yeah, doing, I don't even know how many deals a month we do doing i i literally don't know but like you know just everybody closing every day is like is like fantastic you know and it's like our, like our sales cycle is is somewhere between 14 and 21 days from when they the first touch to the deal gets closed and then like implementations like actually see value is pretty quick as well just like yeah like probably you know realistically it should take somebody like start to finish five days and like they're only spending three hours over those five days, but it's just, you know, coordination back and forth, right? It's like a call and then, okay, go do this. And then another call and then, you know, launch it or whatever. So what what's the most incredible so far from like an ROI standpoint for a customer? Like, and how, how much is like virality driving the growth? Like a, a brand, let's say a Ron or someone else is using it. They love it. They're telling other people, is that driving a lot of the the net new customers. So like and people not want to share their secrets with people. That that was kind of a problem in the beginning, <clears throat> especially like uh but people are talking about it now. We've kind of um tried to we built out, we call it an affiliate or an influencer channel to try to like organize that virality a little bit, you know? So people are coming in through these guys that you know, we're doing dinners with all the time and and dealing with um, so yeah, like, like ha half of it is, is like that, but it, and it used to be 60, 70% before we had someone handling it. It used to be just like 60, 70% just intros coming to me and Diana. But now we have like a department that has three people that like handles all of this. So it's, so it's like systemizing, it making like, that happen. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's virality anymore. Cause we're pushing so hard. Yeah, it's like a strategic yeah. legion that ends up creating conversations that drives inbound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah. makes a lot of sense. Why well, the reason I started this podcast in the beginning, yeah, you know, I called it out of the woods because you know the world was just changing and it was becoming a lot harder to operate. And it's like this concept of like you know startups, many of them are struggling and they're in the woods. And it's like how do you get to the other side? Like how do you get get out of the woods? And you you started off by saying you know Shopify is cutting projections by you know half HubSpot's cutting projections you have companies that have laid off a shit ton of people like what's what's your general take on you know the economy how it's impacting you know tech companies e-com and you know how much does that matter in terms of how people should be operating or, or not yeah I was at a dinner last night and people talked about it so like in our ecosystem everything just stopped on April 1st for like six weeks kind of middle of May, it started picking up again to where it wasn't like, oh my God, like this is like a real disaster. But like literally it just fucking stopped. Like people selling software into e-commerce companies. Um, it seemed like there was like a last gasp to this like COVID D2C thing that, that ended in March. Probably a combination of Silicon Valley Bank failing, you know, the Fed having riskless money at 5% is definitely sucking euphoria out of the markets like crazy stuff like nfts going up 1800 percent in a day and people thinking that's like a job like it's not happening anymore right like it's just not so i think it slows everything down you know um 
And, but I hadn't heard that merchants were getting annihilated. Like if you were getting crushed in April and May, you were getting crushed before, but like the people who, cause like a lot of these Shopify products is like such a niche market and like, it's so low penetration and like, and like the consumers have, haven't been that impact. Like people right, still have jobs. Exactly. And that money. audience, yeah, yeah. And that audience, they haven't. So um, the hope, if you're us, was like, hopefully people are just making sure that they think it's, you know, they're hearing recession. Like, hopefully they're just trying to decide whether it's going to be a normal holiday season or not. And then they will gear up for the holiday season. You know, so that was kind of the hope. That's kind of the read that I have. I mean, it's a weird one. Like I worked at Lehman Brothers during the financial crisis. I was there on the day that it went bankrupt. And like the terror, I mean, granted I was in the epicenter, but like, it seemed like a much more severe thing that even Main Street was like, terrified of and like you would hear like there was a recovery on wall street but main street there wasn't or whatever this recession is very weird yeah no. it's like a slow there seem to be like jobs that people want to hire for yeah yeah it's like it's, it's been like being built up for like two years of like this recession like it's like if you see it that far ahead like is it actually going to happen like i don't know and if and if anything it seems like the overly financialized and leveraged entities are the ones that are most impacted. It's like people that were so highly leveraged in commercial real estate, like these big funds are down 30%, 40%, but like the normal day-to-day of America, like doesn't seem to have changed really that much. Not to my observation. And like, I don't even hear about times that are way worse than they were before in different sort of, you know. Yeah, it's all like this pending of like, wait and see because it's supposed to get bad. So that's going to like change my behavior about what I should be doing. Right. It's odd. But I'm, I mean, we're, we're not really seeing it in our, we're definitely like, you know, things are accelerating relative to April and the first two weeks of May a lot, which is great. Well, we, we saw something similar. I mean, the, the week of Silicon Valley Bank, like that was a total shift in momentum, you know, like, Everything was going fine, you know, up until that point. Then you have that whatever that weekend where things just like fell off a cliff. I think everybody just got very scared after that point. Like every CFO started to like, you know, cut back, have restrictions, and we're not doing this, we're not doing that. And that, you know, to your point, it kind of stayed like that, I think, for like two-ish months. And now things are starting to pick up a bit. You know, obviously in like a software world, like the summers aren't the greatest because people are like in and out of the office, you gotta get a hold of people. But it definitely feels like the momentum's starting to to pick up a little bit more, at least on our side. But so, you know, that was a big, a big thing that shook people up. Like given the finance background, like how, how big of a role does that play in like how you think about running a company like that, that experience back then at, at all? I mean, I think like this doesn't help at all. Like, I think I have some, okay, like a better sort of aptitude for math than English, if that makes sense. But like, I don't know, I do marketing and I don't know, but like I, ran our QuickBooks until last October, you know, I think just understanding, but that wasn't, that wasn't my finance career. I was a credit default swap trader, but like, I think that having a super tight handle on the financial side of the business is like really beneficial. I mean, I've lost it now. Cause like we have so many people and I don't look at it every day, but like I was approving every single transaction. Like I just go on Friday, 15 minutes every Friday and like, just make sure I knew where everything was going. Um, that was really helpful, but it's not, it wasn't related to, to the finance background at all. I mean, yeah. I used to, I used to write physical checks for everything for like the first couple of years, like to pay people and, and all this stuff. And there's a, there's such a difference between writing a check or giving somebody like three grand versus like 
you know, just doing it on like ramp.com or something and paying a bill for $3 or just like having it on auto pay. Like you just think so much more deeply about it. You know, it's hard to do that at, at scale. Like you said, you now you got 40, 50, 60 people, you know, it's hard to do, but there is a sense of like, how do you still stay on top of some of the minutiae? Like, how do you think about the balancing act between, yeah, we have this big vision. I'm the visionary. I'm the CEO. Like I, I have to stay focused on big things, but not lose track of like the small things, the details that actually you know made the company. Yeah. I've thought about that a lot. Like, a couple of people I really admire. One is like Jeff Bezos. Well, so I'm talking about the use of symbols and I haven't figured this out yet. Like I got desperate. I started spending money on everything very recklessly and irresponsibly, like people's comp packages, like people, you know, fucking events we were going to all the stuff just because I was like, we have to do this now. And like, we have the resources to do it. Let's do it. Um, that's not a good way to live. And it sets a horrible precedent culturally for spending money. So we're in the process of trying to undo that right now. Um, luckily this woman that is our chief of staff and runs all the finance is like hard as a rock on this stuff. So, um, but like, I think symbols are, are great. Like Jeff Bezos would make people build a desk when they worked at Amazon, like symbolically. Right. So like we need to pass the savings to the customers. There's this guy, Hank Greenberg, who used to be the CEO of Bear Stearns. And he has a book called memos from the chairman, his symbol was you weren't allowed to throw rubber bands away. This was in like the 80s and 90s and they were fucking moving envelopes, maybe envelopes also, but like at Bear Stearns, rubber bands would be tied together as like a symbol of frugality, right? So it's probably something you need to spend more time on, but like, um, you know, I know Kelly's just like attacking people for spending money now, so. <laughs> well, like you said, it's so easy to lose track of those things. Like little things, little symbols of like, you know, we don't care. Like we order very extravagant lunches at the warehouse for the team. Like it just turns into like them not caring about that next decision. Like, oh, should I care about saving this? Should I not? Uh, fuck it. We, we spent a lot of money. We sent an ice cream truck at the office. Who cares? You know, like it's, it's. It can get out of hand very quickly. Do you have symbols? Like, are there things that you're trying to be doing right now? That's I I want symbols. (laughs) You know, I I haven't come up with any yet, but like, we need them. Basically, now it's like me saying we are going to spend less and make more every single month for the rest of the year. Get ready. (laughs) Do Do you think about your personal lifestyle at all when it comes to like being on display for your team of like things that you do, things you spend on? I mean. I don't think I live too outrageously. We live in like a small house in Austin. I have a nice boat that we wake surf on, but like they think that's cool. You know, I'm not fucking flying private. You know what I mean? Like you could have been if you kept it at six people and just grinded it out. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I drive like my wife and I have a Suburban in a 1983 Mercedes Benz 380 SL. So like, it's not, we're not like living, you know, I'm not like into the stuff that I think would, it's just not a big part of what I'm interested in. Like flashy things. I'm sure some people would look at how we live and say, you're such an asshole for thinking that this is like understated or whatever. But, um, you talk about like, Hey, I want to build this. Yeah. I want to sell this company for a billion dollars. Is that purely just putting points on the board? Like you just, yeah, I don't give it, I don't care. I mean, look, I, it would be great to like have some amount of money that like it stopped mattering. I don't think I want my kids to just like inherit a bunch of dough. Like it's not good. I haven't seen many cases in which it's helpful for the child to raise up, to be raised in a house where it is known that the parents are super rich and they are inheriting a lot of money. I have not seen one good example of that. So it's, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a challenge, you know, 
It's like, I'm playing this game. How, how far can I go? Right. How, how hard can I push it? It's like, can I get this thing to the Olympics or not? Right. Like, and, and a very easy way to measure is like unicorn, <laughs> right? Like it's, you know, it's kind of a share. If you have a hundred days, how many days do you actually believe you can do it versus not believing you can do it? It's a good question. I think I honestly, at this point, I think I believe it every day. The timeline just shifts. Like earlier this year, I thought it was like, I thought we could maybe raise at a billion and that's not selling for a billion anywhere close. Right. But like, yeah, it's very different, but I thought we might be able to raise it a billion by the end of the year, but I thought we were also going to get to 50 million ARR. Now I think we're going to be at like 28, 29, 30. I got the TAM wrong. We were overselling people. There was just a lot of stuff going on that like sent these false signals. Um, and, but I still think there's like literally in what we're doing and like one other tangential opportunity that is like working, but in beta, I think it's a hundred million, you know, ARR in like 36 to 48 months. And like that, unless business valuations change dramatically, like that is, that's the holy grail. I mean, that's, that's what that, that gets you there. So I never look at that, like the breakout of revenue by whatever you want to call it, like channel or product or whatever. I can never look at that and be like, we're not doing this. It's just a matter of like, shit, man, we might be able to do it in two years if like something crazy happened, you know, but Does like the timing matter at too? least four years, the timing matters to the extent that the growth rate is impacting the valuation. You know, I think of like the growth rate sinks, but the growth rate is, they're also more forgiving once you get to higher revenue levels, you know, but like if we grew 25% this year, it would kind of, I mean, we're already, we've already grown 50, right. But like if in this journey, we, we hit 25, like there's no shot, like the, the revenue premium, multiple premium would just evaporate. You know, you kind of, there's some level of growth rate plus profitability that like, I don't know what it is and it's always changing, but like, that's why timing matters, but still three or four years to get from 20 to a hundred, like you're in that range where I mean, there's, not, there's, not a, there's not a lot of companies that are some 10 years old that are, that are doing a hundred million. Like anything that's in that range is going to be worth. Yeah. A lot of money. Yeah, so, right. And and to get to that point, either your growth rates are super high or you have incredible like net retention, you know, because you're either way, way net retention's almost better, right? Like Yeah, and you can get forgiveness from an investor or, or a, a buyer if you have hundred thirty percent in RR, but you're growing forty percent. Like cause then it's like, oh, maybe it's a, a demand thing, let's just go get more channels and spend more on sales and working, but the product is obviously great and it's sticky, you know. We'll, we'll wrap things up. You know, I got to go. You got to go. Um, why are you so open online? You know, you, like you're very vulnerable, transparent, honest, you know, sharing everything about the financials, the things you've sucked at, the things you're doing well at, your strategies. Like, what do you think is the net, you know, net benefit or, or outcome of that? I think it gets attention and it helps with like recruiting in the ecosystem, basically. Like I, I'm trying to create this inbound trust engine where when it comes time to do a big secondary or recruit a big employee or whatever, like they will have, they will literally feel like they know me. Cause it happened to me once. Like I like fell into this guy's info product funnel. He was the founder of big commerce and he was, it's, Mitch Harper was his name. Watched a webinar, did like a hundred hours of his like info product courses on like startups and like all this other shit. And then I'm like, I need this guy to be my coach for one hour a month for $5,000, right? Like I get on a call with this guy and it was the weirdest fucking feeling I've ever felt. It's like, I knew everything about him. I know what he did with his friends. Like I know what his wife's like. I know where he lives. I know the house. And like, he's looking at me like I'm a total fucking stranger. Right. And I was like, this was five years ago or something. And I was like, 
when it comes time, I am going to figure out how to use this power to my advantage. So this, that's kind of like what this is all about. It's like, I don't think it would be that effective unless we were doing as well as we were. I don't think it would be, you know, if we were stuck at 1 million ARR, like me being out there, like screaming about our financials and like how it's like, oh, it's a big win. It's a big loss. Like no one gives a shit, right? Like it's, 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 it's a combination of all of it. Um, and I'm probably going a little bit overboard. Like I thought we would be crushing it way harder than we were. I started making this docu-series about it. It's expensive. It's like $5,000 an episode, like, but it's like, it's so cool. We're not doing anything with it either because we don't have marketing people. So like, it's not getting distributed. But like my whole thing was like, if I can get someone to binge watch that, it's 10 minute episodes and there's going to be like 10 this season and then we're going to make 10 more in the fall. Like they're in, you know what I mean? Like they're totally sold on me. They're totally sold on what we're doing. Like they're like, you know, getting like whipped around by the emotion of this journey, you know? Um, so that's kind of my thinking about it. Even if it's not hundreds of thousands of people, these are like Mr. Beast episodes. Like you never know who's watching these things. You know, like exactly. I did one of these podcasts and then I get an email from the second biggest private equity fund in the world. They're like the, the first private equity fund. They manage like a hundred billion. And they're like, yeah, I listened to your episode out of the woods with like, you know, this woman that we almost invested in. I wanted to talk to you guys about it. It's like, I had no idea that this person was listening, you know? And you, you know, I, I watched, I don't really watch people's shit, but you, the fact that you put a lot of like effort and quality into like making that, those clips really good. I ended up watching it, you know, and it was good. And I watched like eight minutes on my phone, like, like a loser, you know, and like, right. <laughs> I mean, it's great. It's like, but like that product they're making is like, I think it's really high quality. You know, it's like very different than what you see on LinkedIn, right? Like it's, it's. And it's engaging. I mean, there, it's real stories and real, you know, it's not just like a highlight reel of stuff. It's like actually what's going on of like running a business like this. And there's not a, everybody likes to talk about their business after the fact, like after they've done it, you know, there's not a lot of stuff happening when you're doing it. And everybody likes to talk about how they had the idea of making a show when they were in the middle of it, but no one can because they don't have the resources and capacity. Or and they they're work. scared to actually share what's really happening day in and day out, yeah. you know? So, so I want to you know, appreciate you putting that out there and, and, and I've enjoyed it. So, and that's helped me, like I didn't really do research before we got on because I already felt like I had an understanding of, you know, you and what you guys are doing and stuff. So, um, you know, I think, I think it works and it's also about consistency. Like the more you do it, like just, you know, people keep recognizing, you, you know? So la last question, appreciate you jumping in. Um, you know, the, the question I like to ask everyone is, you know, in this environment, let's say you're, you know, a startup that's maybe got three months of runway, six months of runway, you're really struggling, your channels aren't working, whatever it is, you know, your back's against the wall. What's your, what's your advice to a founder in that type of position right now, trying to kind of figure it out and, and get out of that situation? Probably cut where you can and not die and try to make three months, six months or six months a year. And then, I mean, just like keep trying to solve tangential problems that are valuable to whoever you're dealing with that would, I mean, that's, that's still what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, like, I think that's just business. It's like, how do you cut expenses, but like deploy dough in a way you'll get the most out of it. And then keep opening up throughput, like, you know, in areas like around what you're doing, right? Like either same audience, tangential product or like same product, tangential audience, or like, you know, something like that. It's, it's crazy. Like, the fight or flight mentality of like when you get into a situation like that of how effective you become in terms of like crystallizing okay this is what's important like let's make impact 
And I think that the best founders are just always in that mode. You know, it's like Jeff Bezos says, it's always day one. Like that's kind of the mentality. It's like, you can go out of business at any time. doesn't matter how successful you are. If, and if you owe if you know, I think if you're fortunate enough in a way to almost be in that situation and get through it, taking that mentality into the day-to-day of running a business and making that the culture is a very hard thing to. I mean, I'm literally, I lost it. <laughs> So like, it's also, you kind of get the same discipline when you're paying yourself dividends. Cause you're like, I love the cat. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you either spend a hundred thousand on this event or it like gets distributed to you. It's like, I think I'll pass on the event this time. Right. Like, um, I totally lost it for like four months and we are getting it back in the process. So it's like, we don't have a three month runway problem. Like my thing is like, we will generate 500 K cash in December come hell or high water. Like if we're a fucking third of the people we are now, that is my number that's what's happening, right? Like period. So and everyone knows it. Yeah. I told him today. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we're gonna have to cut anybody cause we, you know, are going to grow revenues, but like, um, it's happening. Right. So like I'm doing it too. And then we're kind of doing some cool product stuff at the same time to, you know, try to ultimately give more value to brands and be able to upsell them and like all that stuff. Yep. Makes sense. Cool. Well, Adam, thanks for joining me. It was a ton of fun. Hopefully you, hope you enjoyed it. You know, I know the, the audience will, will definitely, and wh- where's the best place to find you? Is it LinkedIn, Twitter? Probably LinkedIn. I think that's, that's where I'm doing the most. So it's my handles, retention, Adam, or just like Adam Robinson at retention.com. You'll find yep. me. Sweet. And if they want to use retention, should they just go to you and get yep. to the site? Totally. Go to book a demo. We'll walk you through and you'll be, and you'll be making using money. it in two weeks, Tricks. getting value in three. <laughs> cool. Awesome, man. Thanks for joining. Hopefully we get a chance to meet in person sometime. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks for listening to the Out of the Woods podcast. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. More episodes are on the way. If you want to keep the conversation going, suggest questions, or nominate guests for future episodes, you can reach me on Twitter at Michael Martocci. Good luck and see you next time.